0: listening to Footprints on Our Hearts, a podcast about baby loss, legacy and learning to live again with me, Alison Ingleby. The baby loss community is one that no one wants to join but together we can break the silence around baby loss and help each other navigate the rocky road that is grief because all children leave footprints on our hearts. Good morning and welcome to episode 56 of Footprints on Our Hearts. How are you feeling today? I have to say that I am still mourning the loss of our two days of summer weather that we had last week. Um, I got quite carried away with it and, you know, I was all ready for summer really, you know switch the wardrobe over, put those winter coats away, sit out in the garden for a bit. Um, It was really nice and then it got really cold again, certainly up north in Yorkshire where I live. Um, It got back down to freezing temperatures and it was like pulling all the woolly hats and gloves and scarves out of the cupboard again. Um, So yeah, that made me a little bit sad but I hope that it is a hint that spring and summer are on the way because I think, oh, I don't know, I for one am in dire need of a little bit of warm weather and feeling that sunshine on my skin. I think, I don't know, it just seems to make the world feel better and whatever is going on in your life, um, you know, obviously it doesn't take away, you know, bad things that are happening but it can just, oh, just give you a moment of peace. I think it's something to do with your body being able to relax and I think Maybe when it's cold, sometimes I get the feeling that, you you know, I'm permanently kind of tense and tensed against the, the cold weather. Um, and, you know, when the sun comes out, you can just like, oh, relax anyway. And it makes us think of summer holidays, which hopefully maybe are not too far off the horizon. Anyway, before we get into today's interview, I wanted to mention the Channel 4 programme, Dispatch's programme, called the Black Maternity Scandal, um, which aired... I think last week as this is going out, or it might have been the week before, so I'm actually recording this uh, intro a week early, because we are going off to our in-law, or my in-laws, my husband's family, Um, we've switched our support bubble, which we're allowed to have to them, Um, so we're going to go and see them, so they're able to spend a bit of time with Rowan for a week um so I don't have any of my mic or my podcasting equipment there so I am recording this a little bit early hence uh my dates my um my understanding of the dates as they are when I'm recording and when it goes out um are not quite in line anyway but I did want to mention this I haven't yet watched it um, partly because I don't really watch any TV nowadays but um, I'm hoping to kind of find some time over the next week to do so and it's a programme about that explores the fact that black women are four times more likely than white women to die during pregnancy and childbirth and up to six weeks afterwards and I think I have mentioned that statistic on the podcast before and also the statistic that you know black women are much more likely to suffer stillbirth and pregnancy loss um, and complications than white women and you know when I first heard some of these statistics it really shocked me and I was, I, I couldn't really understand why we weren't more aware of this and why it wasn't talked about more um, and I'm very conscious that certainly a lot of the baby loss community and and certainly the sort of bit that I'm involved in is quite white dominated though there are some fantastic you know podcasts, Instagram accounts, um, blogs which are specifically targeted at um, black and brown parents so I do kind of encourage you whether you identify with that or not to to check them out because I think there are you know we need to understand what everyone's going through. Um, So I'm quite looking forward to watching this programme and I wanted to mention it in case you hadn't heard about it. So you could have a look, look it up and I guess inform yourself better as to what the particular challenges are that black women and black husbands, I guess, uh, black men, um, fathers face um, during and after childbirth. Um, And interestingly, I actually became aware of this because um, a friend of mine, Chini McDonald, posted a link to an article she'd written in The Independent about her experiences of being a black woman giving birth. Now, Chini's husband is white, and she says in the article, she explains how she leveraged the fact that she had a white husband to make sure that she was treated well in hospital and that her and her baby had the best chance of surviving and i just want you to read to read you a quote from this article i was very aware that i needed to make myself lesser and ensure my husband did most of the talking i was very conscious of having to use my husband's whiteness to ensure the protection of my baby and myself our story ended well with a healthy baby boy, but for so many other black women, the story is tragically different. And I think, you know, this really struck a chord with me because, you know, Chinny is, I went to university with her and she is an amazing inspirational woman. She's not someone who's, you know, afraid or shy from, you know, stepping back to the spotlight. She's, you know, had a fantastic career. You If you listen to Radio 4, you might have heard her doing the thoughts of the day, which she does sometimes. You know, she's a published author. Um, You know, she speaks out a lot in in terms of um, campaigning for Black women, and uh, you know Christian. I think she works for Christian Aid. So she's a very well-educated, very um, I guess self-confident person, and yet in this situation, she still, despite all those kind of uh, qualifications in inverted commas and um, and skills that she had, she felt that she had to take a step back and leave her husband to advocate for on her behalf um for her and their baby purely because of the color of his skin um yeah and i don't know i mean i don't know if there's anyone listening to this who can relate to that experience and if you can i would love to hear from you and if you'd like to share your story on the podcast i would love to help you with that because i think it is you know i feel like there's not much i can do personally other than helping to share stories of you know how people are treated in this situation and you know I guess campaigning for what we can do to to improve maternal care for all mothers um, and particularly to improve those shocking statistics really because it just it doesn't feel right to me (laughs) that that should be the case anyway so that's that's my uh my little preach of the day On to this week's interview. So, today in this week's episode, I am chatting to Laura Gallagher, who is the author of Robo Babies, um, a book which you might have seen um, popping up, particularly if you're on Instagram or you're involved in the baby loss community. It's a children's picture book which uh, covers a whole myriad of situations in which families can form. So um, it's an amazing book. I have a copy and, you know, I'm looking forward to reading and discussing with Rowan when he is older um, about all these different ways in which families can form. So it covers everything from IVF, donor conception, to surrogacy and adoption. Um, so it's a really great book. And um, Laura had her own experience of infertility. Um, she Her son, Rafe, was conceived via IVF. And we start off the interview talking about that and her her sense of embarrassment at having to go through fertility treatment to get pregnant. We also then move on, and we we have a really good sort of slightly in-depth discussion about some of the challenges of bonding with your baby after infertility, birth trauma, or loss. And I guess some of the the kind of loneliness and and additional feelings that um that maybe go on and could be compounded. And this is, you know, it's something that I haven't really talked about in the podcast before. And I do appreciate that that, that bit in particular might be something that people find quite difficult to listen to. And um, particularly, you know, if you Um, waiting for a rainbow you haven't got a rainbow baby um or you know you know that you're not going down that that particular route um so if that's the case I wanted to just mention that as a bit of a trigger warning you might want to skip that section of the podcast and as always the timings are in the show notes so you can skip that and get on to the next part of the interview in which we then go on to talk about Laura's experience of getting pregnant naturally but suffering sadly two ectopic pregnancies Um, and the second one in particular was was quite traumatic and then we talk about her experience of grief after loss and why she decided to write Robo Babies. So it's a brilliant interview I hope you enjoy it, I'm really grateful to Laura for being so open and honest in sharing her experiences and yeah I hope you enjoy the interview. Today I'm joined on the podcast by Laura Gallagher, author of the wonderful children's book of Robo Babies, which captures the many ways babies can arrive into families. Welcome to the podcast, Laura. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Fantastic. Well, let's get right into it. I would like to start by going back to the beginning of your journey and talking about your experience of infertility. So when did you decide to start trying for a baby? And when did you realise that things might not be quite as simple
1: as you might have originally thought? Right. So going back to, obviously, we got married we consciously decided that we were going to wait to have children after we'd done what we wanted to do. You know, like it's so annoying when you think about that now, even when you say it out loud, you just think how stupid and naive. But I, I genuinely thought that I had time on my side. We got married. I was 30 and my husband's four years younger than me. And I'm, I'm one of four children. I've got three sisters. So I and my mum's one of seven and her mum's one of like seven. As well. And I, I always thought, oh, it's a given. I'm going to have lots of children. But it's just I really didn't realise that there was going to be any problems. But also I, I just didn't really know anyone that had had problems as well. So it, I, people just didn't talk about that. So when we started to try, I really consciously tried not to get too involved or upset but it's kind of hard not to isn't it and you start to it starts to dawn on you that it's not as easy as you think I also had a pretty big gut feeling that something wasn't right and I didn't want to say anything and I didn't want to scare my husband but I kind of had these like pangs of you need to get checked and I I just thought you know what I'm over 30 it's not it's not stupid to go and kind of have a little check and we had a little um basically an MOT, you know, see if Joe's sperms are fine, see if my eggs are fine, see if everything's working as it should. And hopefully we'd, we'd return with like, great, you're all good to go, just keep trying. It had been a year and a half, which isn't actually that long, but because my gut feeling was so strong, that's what had, like had made us go. And when we went back for the results, I remember it so clearly because I think I knew that it was going to be me and it just wasn't going to be good news we'd we'd done the test and then we'd gone to Rome for like three days and there we were like let's just eat and drink and who cares about the results who cares we can just be two of us just traveling the world but even on that trip and I remember it I was like what if I got pregnant on this trip? How amazing would it be? Obviously it didn't happen. But I remember it's like in, in Rome, this Italian like romantic adventure. And it just, it was, I think it was a really lovely trip, but there was also just in the back of our minds, just, like the fate of what was going to be happening she told me that I had low AMH level which is a low kind of amount of eggs but also the quality are quite low so it was essentially saying that I was maybe I think I was 32 at this point with like the equivalent of a 42 year old's eggs so it'd be like a 42 year old starting to have a family and realizing that yeah it wasn't as it seemed and I remember I was so blindsided and so upset and and basically she just I was just burst into tears and she told me she was like oh so she just said well I think you're just gonna have to do IVF and I was like what no what sorry and I just didn't I really didn't understand even how we'd gone from just trying naturally the thing is we did kind of go private and and we just wanted to have those tests privately just to kind of get everything quickly done so we knew yeah that that kind of changed everything really because then I was thrown into this spiral of what is IVF mm-hmm. I know that sounds silly but honestly I didn't I really didn't know what it what it what it was I knew it was a procedure and I knew it was something that people did when they when they you know they're a bit older or you know they trying to decide when the right time was I didn't realize that it was someone like me I know that sounds a bit stupid I thought no I'm I'm healthy it it (laughs) doesn't at
0: all and you know and I think and I have to admit that sort of before I started this podcast and kind of went into the the baby loss community which also has a big overlap with the kind of infertility community because sadly you know a lot of people who experience infertility you know also experience baby loss um you know I didn't have much idea it was this kind of like I knew it happened. I knew friends who have been through this. But in terms of what it actually involved, I didn't really have much clue because, as you say, it's not really yeah. talked about. And that must have been such a bombshell for you. I guess you were like, you know, OK, we were on this path and now we're on a new path. And I'm not really sure what's ahead on this path and, and what's going to happen. And, you know, I think, as I said, it's something... That maybe people keep quite private and isn't really discussed for a variety of reasons. So, how did you and your husband feel talking to friends and family about what you were
1: going to go through? So, I instantly, I think, went into shock, and I was, in, I was embarrassed. I think that was my main emotion, which I feel sad about because it. I, I think I was embarrassed that I thought that it was going to be easy so I was almost kind of grieving this idea that I had literally grown up with my whole life thinking that and I and it was the shock of that not being the case and it was the embarrassment that my body wasn't going to be able to do and I remember just being like to my husband oh you don't have to be with me anymore because I can't even I can't even give you a baby and he's like are you serious like you're and I was like but but this is why we're getting married like we were going to make a family and And now I can't do it. It's not your fault. It's my fault. And I felt really alone. But I decided I was going to tell anyone and everyone that would would listen because I needed some support. Because I I remember going on my Facebook and going on Instagram. And to be fair, this was, what, four years ago. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't the community that it is now. There, There wasn't a lot out there. People weren't really talking about it. So I was just, I was just, alone my sister was pregnant and that was a really awkward scenario because then suddenly I also had this like oh my gosh my sister can get pregnant but I can't get pregnant and we we just we told our families and we said look we're just gonna we're just gonna need your support and I was yeah it took a it took a really long time to kind of get into action mode because I just felt so upset and I just felt like I'd let my body had let me down. I think that was it. I felt like my body had let me down and couldn't do the one thing that I was supposed to be able to do and the one thing that I had always just imagined and and knew that I wanted to be. I wanted to be a mum. And um it was it was a really really hard time. I felt really I kept like comparing myself to women I'd walk along and I'd see like a woman pushing a pram and and just being like like so angry and jealous and and, and almost inferior to these women that I knew had babies, even though I knew that now I know like more than ever that there's so many ways you can become a parent and it's not necessarily, we don't know the story of m- most people, but I, I just, yeah, it was a really hard place. Um, but I got out of that place to then start the IVF. And we, once again, we did go privately because the NHS was looking like it was going to take a very long time. And I'm a, I'm actually a teacher. And I really thought the idea of doing it in a six weeks holiday when I was most calm, I did a lot of research about it. I threw myself into it and I thought, right, I'm going to have acupuncture. I'm going to be really calm. I'm going to come off social media. I'm going to just do everything that I possibly can to help this round because we we only really could afford one round. It was it was a lot of money. We're still paying for it now, to be honest. I, I wouldn't tell my son that, but it was a lot of money that we couldn't afford. But we both felt that it was right to take some control back. When you're doing IVF, you don't have any control. And so we felt that if we did it privately, we could pick when we did it. You just had more control. You didn't have to go to loads of meetings and do different things. It was very much you, you were paying for this service that ultimately would have done the same as through the NHS. But it was just something that we felt that but I was quite strongly like, right, we need to, we need to do it. And I said, I need to get every part. I need to pay for the embryo glue. I need to, we need to do ICSI, which is when they, um, so in in the normal kind of IVF, they, they, the egg and the sperm are, they're kind of left to their own devices, where it was ICSI. It's very kind of, they inject it in. So it's, it's more, what's the word? No, it's more forceful, but that's probably not the yeah. right word. It's like yeah, we go together. <laughs> it's definitely the unromantic. All yeah. of it is unromantic. <laughs> so even talk, even just thinking about it, it's just it's just a gentler way to push them together. Like, you know, so neither of them are getting lazy. They've been pushed together. And we we just said we're just gonna go all in. And it I responded really, really well to all the all the injections and all the hormones. But we got to egg collection, got some got great amount of eggs, 10 eggs, and the, the clinic always said, look, because you're, because your egg quality is quite low and the amount IVF is the best option, but it still doesn't guarantee you lots of eggs. Some people get 30, 40 eggs. I was always going to get a small amount, but it was all about that one viable embryo. That's all we needed. And we were hoping we'd have some in the freezer to come back to. But then, unfortunately, there was only one that was good enough to use. So we'd every day we'd waited, we'd waited, and they would ring up and they said, three, there's three. Okay, and we were like, yes, we've got three. Next day, two. We've got two. The other one didn't make it. We'll just see. The next day, one, one. So we were like, okay, so what does this mean? They were like, basically, this one, we're going to, We're going to pop back inside you and just the others aren't good enough to freeze. So you're going to have to just, uh, just wait and see. Obviously it's a 30% chance that it will even work, that you'll even get pregnant. I was beside myself that we'd gone through it all. We had one. Oh, I could cry thinking about now because the anxiety of when they put that embryo back in, pop you along your way and, call us in two weeks. Hopefully you'll be pregnant. And I could not believe that we got pregnant. And it was the most miraculous moment of my life, but followed by the most terrifying moment of my life. Yeah. (laughs) So I was suddenly like, oh my God, I got pregnant. It worked. We were like, it worked. You know, like whenever do you ever have that in a normal conception when you're like, it worked, we did it we done it you know like it was a we done it moment but then the reality was like you know we've got to go 9 months now and we've got to get this baby and it was a very very anxious time because mm. i was just aware that if anything did go wrong that was it and we'd have to go back again but it did work and we got our son and he's here now and he's he's nearly 3 so i think i will never get over that whole experience it obviously it was amazing and miraculous and we we put everything into it but in doing all of that comes the other side where you you just it's 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 quite traumatic like that whole experience of being told that you've got this one shot and then and then I'm the one carrying that one shot around for nine months and and I just, I just, did, I don't think I did anything. Like, I don't think I saw anyone. I was, I was just so scared. I just wanted to get to the end and, mm-hmm. and I did. And, um, he's here. But pregnancy is for me, pregnancy equals anxiety. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that was where my head was at with that, with pregnancy anyway and having a baby. That, that was where I was at that was how that's how we got our son uh and I
0: think I mean I mean I think a lot of people will be able to to sort of resonate with what you were saying there in terms of that experience of being pregnant and goodness the pressure it's like you have this one chance and you know it's all down to you and whether your body can grow this little egg into you know into a human and it's like no one needs that pressure when pregnancy is hard enough um anyway and I do think that you know whether you've experienced baby loss or infertility and you know the triggers might be slightly different in terms of what your anxiety is around depending on your experience But there's always that sense of fragility and knowing that um things don't always go the way you want them to and I certainly you know I felt the same when I was pregnant with my rainbow baby um you know particularly because you know we had a few issues around the kind of placenta, which is what my, you know, had caused my daughter to die. And it's all like, oh, I just, I can't grow this baby, like, (laughs) but it's all on me. And I think that pressure is so, you know, you can do all the kind of yoga and meditation and hypnobirthing and, and everything you can to try and manage that, which, you know, I did, and I'm sure, you know, you, you tried maybe some of those techniques, Mm. but there's still that underlying pressure on you to deliver this baby into the world. Um, safely at the end of that so how did it feel when he was born and you finally had him in the world with you it
1: was it was it was a bit of a up and down birth because I nearly delivered him naturally he was I dilated 10 centimeters and he was on his way out after being induced because I had high blood pressure Mm. which I am very sure was down to just worry and anxiety But then unfortunately, at the last minute, his arm lodged and I had to have an emergency cesarean. And I feel like the emergency cesarean was like the last bit of it just finished me off because I think when he arrived then, I wasn't even in the right frame of mind to even like, I think what, what had happened for me from the moment of conception in that clinic to that moment when he was out, I then breathed out. I literally went, (sighs) <sighs> I've done it, yet. and I don't even remember moments of when he was there. I remember him coming out. I remember them lifting him up. But then he went to Niku, so it was one of those things where he went straight away, and it it didn't even sink in. And I don't think it really sunk in for for many many months because I he was here and he was safe and he was healthy, but my body was still in that kind of tense. Protective mode, and I hadn't kind of. It was yeah, it was very, very, very bizarre. I think you're right with like the triggers. It's it's so different because it's for me. It's my body can't do what other bodies can do, and I think the birth where I had have a cesarean all, almost reaffirmed that my body couldn't do it, and I had to have. You know, we went to birth reflections after we went back to the hospital because I was so upset that I hadn't done it in conception i hadn't been able to make him naturally and then i hadn't been able to deliver him naturally and it was a, a quite a rough start to being a parent because i was just i was filling my head with these thoughts of why can't you do it like everyone else can do it why didn't you it? Do, 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 do? and then we went to the birth reflections and they went through it step by step and said look he got stuck there was no way he was going to get out naturally so you did the right you know we all did the right thing but It's hard when you've been in that moment and then you've reacted and your body's reacted and your brain's kind of flick that switch, and then it's hard to get out of that when you're sleep deprived and with a newborn that everyone's going he, you're he's so you're so lucky he's here you know and and like you know everyone worries about the baby and obviously that's rightly so, but for me i I just yeah, it was it was a lot it was a lot and do you if you don't mind me asking, do you
0: think that um I mean that's quite a traumatic sort of entry into the world for him and for you to to go through that particularly mm-hmm. given the anxiety you've been through? Do you think that affected how you maybe bonded with him initially and your kind of, I guess, your experience as as a kind of mother in those first few months?
1: Yeah, a million percent. I I feel that I bonded with him more when he was in my tummy because I had this almost like protective, I don't know, like I, I, I knew that I could look after him in there. And then when he came out, it was like because he'd been taken away straight away and because it had been via cesarean there was almost a bit like I remember saying to Joe a few days later I was like he's definitely he's definitely ours isn't he and Joe was like "Uh, yeah Uh, but but because even sometimes to the point of and this is probably where I was actually probably not a bit right in the head but I was like, yeah, but Joe, hold on. We don't even know in the clinic whether they had the right egg and sperm. And what if he's not actually, and Joe was like, Laura, you're at, you're actually going too far now. But that was, that was where my body and my head was at. I I was, I was very, I didn't have that bonding. And I mean, we, we bond now and like, it's amazing. But I think that first bit with everything that had happened before, I think I think you know it's easy to say in hindsight, but I do think if I hadn't gone through IVF, the birth wouldn't have been such a such a a a traumatic event. But because I was desperate just to have that moment with him and to finally see him and and know that I could do it, it just yeah, it was it was tough to get over. And thank thank you for
0: sharing that because I think oh I think it's really hard because I have I I mean I didn't have as traumatic as birth as you did but I have certainly struggled in some sense in terms of feeling like I was bonding and feel like, Oh, he's really mine. And it sounds really stupid, but you know, there've been times and there were times, certainly in, in the first few months and Rowan had was very colicky and refluxing. He was quite a difficult baby, but there were times when I was like, he doesn't feel like my He feels like I'm looking after someone else's baby almost. Mm. He doesn't feel like mine. And I think what's really hard. And I don't know if you found this is I felt like I could not talk to anyone really about that. And it's not something that I could certainly, you know, my my Instagram account and stuff is to do with the podcast. And my other one is to do with my author business. So I don't really have a personal one, but it feels like there's so much pressure on you. And you, of course you, you love them and you're so grateful to have them after all you've been through, whether that's through loss or infertility. You know, he was your miracle that you feel like, he, we have to have this perfect bonding experience. We have to be this perfect mom and He has to be, you know, everything has to be perfect now. And I can't admit to anything not being perfect because then people will think I'm ungrateful, you know, having been through yeah. all this to have him to then say, oh, you know, it's hard. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I, you've, you've, you've taken the words out of my mouth. I didn't open up about that till he was about six months old and my sister I said to my sister I was like this is really hard and I feel bad saying it because I'm so lucky he's here and people can exactly what you said people are going to think I'm ungrateful some people and I kept being like some people haven't even got a baby I've got a baby and now I'm moaning about it and she was like Laura by the way this is totally normal like babies are hard being a mum is really hard please don't like stop feeling like that because what was happening was I was feeling like that then berating myself for feeling like that then feeling like it more and it was this pile of emotion on top of my head and just sleep deprived and you don't know what you're doing because it's you know it's n- totally new to you and I even now like in in amongst the community I, I always have this sense of guilt that it worked for me and that I that I got a baby and even to the point of it that it worked first time. Some people go, oh, we did IVF, we did it four times. At what time? And I go, oh first time they go, Oh wow, you're lucky. And you know, and you go, Yeah, I know. And then then you feel bad because you, I don't want anyone to go through IVF or anyone to struggle, you know, with you know, or have lost a baby or to have had to have any of those experiences. But it's so funny how even though we have had the experience, we still go, Oh, but mine was only it happened first time, so I didn't have to Worry so much, but really, it was it was hard and it was life changing. And that's, I guess, that's the same for you. It it was life changing, so nothing else will compare to that. And it's made me who like the parent that I am from well, that. You yeah, know? I can
0: resonate so much
1: the good and the bad, the good and the bad, the good and the bad parent. You know, like sometimes I am neurotic because I'm like I've only got one, like he's my only child. But then sometimes. <laughs> And then I'm just tired. I'm like, it was really stressful. Like, <laughs> you know, it's it's it is it's really crazy. It's it's just mad. The yeah, around. yeah, it is. And I think, I think as you say, like
0: with the impact of infertility and loss, it like it really doesn't end when you get that baby. Yeah. Like it does. No. It, I think it just, you know, color you probably for like your whole life to some extent. And I guess, yeah. you know, you maybe learn how to manage that over time and what your kind of particular triggers and things are and 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 how to deal with that yeah Yeah. such as oh thank you so much for sharing that I feel a little (laughs) bit better now because it is something that I catch a lot inside myself I think I
1: think it's about talking and about sharing because the minute and I think that's why I spoke up about IVF and, and everything like really early on because the minute you take the shame away the minute someone admits that you feel the same way you go, oh, cool. So it's not actually that bad. If you think it and I think it, then we're both, we, we can't both be like horrible human beings. Like we're both just mums trying to get through it. And I, I think that's it. But it is embarrassing to say, like I feel bad sometimes that I didn't bond. Like, I would hate to think that you'd hear this and think, oh, you didn't bond with me. But I would, I would, and this is the whole point why I've tried to, you know, you know, obviously write a children's book, to try and understand that, it's okay to feel these feelings Mm -hmm. and you need to understand as well that what I went through to get you it wasn't going upstairs and having a quick one after a glass of wine it wasn't that it was it was loaded with so much emotion so I I was allowed to have that emotion when I first met you and I think I will always try and explain that to him because on some level I worry that maybe how I was at the beginning would have affected him but he wouldn't be here if i hadn't gone through that to get him and i mm. i think it's it's important to to talk to our children so they understand the feelings that they might feel but also the feelings we feel so they can understand us and then when they grow up they'll have those feelings maybe or they might not or then they'll go cool my mom had that or well, my dad felt that and or well, they felt this when they were trying to have a baby or mm-hmm. you know so it's just about telling them because feelings are normal aren't they especially these ones the complex yeah. ones.
0: Yeah for sure and we'll, we'll come on to your book in just a minute but I wanted to kind of move on a little bit and hopefully talk a bit about your experience of baby loss because sadly you have suffered from two ectopic pregnancies since having rape, which you I think you conceived naturally. So mm. Can we maybe go to the sort of first of those two pregnancies? How how did it feel when you found out you were pregnant, having been told A, that you know, it's unlikely you'll ever conceive
1: naturally, and after everything you went through to have him? Yeah, I mean, so obviously now you know the whole story, to then have had that positive pregnancy test just on a random October day was confusing to say the least, and also just miraculous in itself so I've been bleeding lightly bleeding um for days and it wasn't a period and I'd had my period but it wasn't really that wasn't really even a period sorry I'm just going to talk about blood and periods that's that fine, fine. That okay? we talk about everything <laughs> <laughs> okay cool all right you know when it's like TMI TMI um so <laughs> I, I've been lightly bleeding and I remember a distinct kind of dull ache, and. The thing is, because I've never had a natural pregnancy and we'd only done IVF, that was different. I'd had lots of hormone injections. I had lots of help and pessaries and all sorts. So for me, I didn't for a second think that that was pregnancy, but I kept bleeding and it was just lightly. And something inside me was like, just do a test. Just do a test. Like You've had sex. I don't use contraception because maybe I'm a bit, I don't know, a bit stupid not to do it. But I was like, I, I thought that they wouldn't happen. So we'd always said, look, if something else did happen naturally and everyone always goes, oh, you had IVF. Oh, you know, my friend down the road, <laughs> yeah. she got pregnant naturally afterwards. So we were always like, maybe we'll be that person. Uh, maybe we'll be that couple. Maybe that will happen. So I did the pregnancy test. I just popped to Sainsbury's, came back, did it just quietly. And it said pregnant. And I was like, what? what and I showed Joe and he just couldn't believe it he couldn't believe it um and I went to I I instantly though went into panic mode because that was my go-to I just thought panic right have to book a a private scan book a private scan and um there was a place that we'd gone to a lot when we were having Rafe and um, we it was fairly cheap to go to and it was near us and, and we could book it the next day and I went in and I haven't actually thought about this for a really long time, but it was actually really, really horrible. And the man, man went in and he did know us because we'd been there before. And he scanned me He went, oh, I think you've got your dates wrong. I was like, no, 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 I, have, I definitely haven't. And, I, and I'm bleeding a little bit. He went, there's nothing, there's nothing in here. There's nothing in here. I was like, that's so weird. I, and then I tried to almost like make him feel better. I was like, oh, yeah, maybe I have. But I knew I hadn't. I knew I hadn't. So I was confused actually I didn't really know I've got and I said to him I've got a positive pregnancy test and he said well I I don't know how you have because there's there's nothing in here and I and he showed me on the screen I could see and I was like oh okay that's weird and he didn't give you like any kind of explanation or hint for why this might be no and actually I felt like sending a really strongly worded email Few weeks later, after I did realize, but I thought, you know what, I can't even be bothered to go there. But he was actually, he wasn't rude, but he was just a bit kind of silly woman's has come in and there's nothing there. But I knew, I knew in my gut once again that something wasn't right. And I was pregnant because I had a positive pregnancy test and that wouldn't have shown otherwise. And I was bleeding and there was a dull ache. So I was a bit kind of okay. And I tried to carry on for the next couple of days. We told, our family straight away because we just needed to tell them and there wasn't a lot of kind of because we hadn't been trying and because we weren't we'd always accepted we were going to have one there wasn't too much like I think I was worried because I was still bleeding but we were like you know what we'll just go with the flow and it will be fine whatever will be will be and I wasn't trying to get too emotionally attached And then one day I was just teaching, Um, I teach like singing and I was at at school and I just, I went to the toilet again. I was like, you know what? This bleeding is not stopping. So I rang the hospital. I went into the early pregnancy unit and they did a scan and they confirmed that it was an ectopic. So they could see a dark shadowy circle in my fallopian tube. And that, that floored me because i hadn't even for a second i i was like okay it it feels like it could be a, a miscarriage and i did know what a ectopic topic was at that point because i knew someone that had, had a really dangerous one mm-hmm. because basically ectopics can get can be really dangerous um, if left untreated or or not seen because um you can like you can hemorrhage basically because it's growing in the wrong place i was hysterical i was just uh, my husband was with me um and i was just like is this serious and i think i think that was the moment when i was actually really connected to it when i knew that it was it was got like i think i just tried to be really chilled about it and and it was it was just horrible and the only silver lining was that it was uh they said because you're bleeding it's it looks like it's it's going away naturally and it's running its course But we want you to keep coming back in just to check that the levels are going down. So then obviously I went home. We had to tell all of our family. But the weird thing was everybody and and anyone that I did tell were like, oh, but at least, you know, you can get pregnant naturally. So that was my tagline then. So whenever I told people and whenever I even told myself, I was like, but at least you can get pregnant naturally. So it was just like a little tester, you know, and I didn't, and I feel sad to say that I didn't even think of it as a child, as a baby, because the whole experience had been around the fact that I'd got pregnant naturally and everyone had focused on that. And then you get the classic, oh, at least you've got Rafe. And I was like, of course, I know I'm really lucky. And that, that whole episode for me was like a little, like, oh, my body can do it. Oh, but it didn't do it. But I got pregnant naturally. And and I proceeded to to go fairly unfazed by by what had happened. And although, weirdly, the next nine months, I was ill all the time. I picked up things all the time. And I think my body was not over it. And my body was ill. I felt it was obviously ill but my mind was like i'm fine i'm fine it's okay look at me my you know i've got a child and i did it naturally but it wasn't the right time and i just i kept going with that thought then 9 months later i got pregnant again and this time i was ready this time i wanted it this time was was the oh well it, the first time we lost it so this time it's going to be here and I've done it naturally and it's the perfect age and I feel good and and this is going to be my healing experience after this is going to be yeah went
0: through yeah. yeah
1: and this is and this is the miraculous moment and what was even more miraculous was my sister who lives in New Zealand found out the same day that she was pregnant wow so me and her we both FaceTime and she was like, look. And I was like, look. And we were both like, oh, my God, holding up our uh, positive pregnancy tests. And um, is this your
0: sister who was pregnant when
1: you uh, – No, so this, is, this okay. is a different sister. This is a different sister. So this is my other sister. This is her second baby. And she hadn't been trying either. And we hadn't – I mean, I, I to be honest, I, I hadn't been trying. We, we we just had we just have, I mean, we yeah. barely have a mix, but like, you know, we, we, we went, we never use anything, but we were, we've always just really happy with the fact that we've got Rafe and anything else would be a bonus. So when I showed Joe, he actually said, Ah. Oh, I've got a really good feeling about this. And I was like, so, so do I, I feel, I feel like it's the Mm. right time. And then obviously finding out that Claire is pregnant and we were so excited because we were like, this is it. We're going to have babies the same age over different parts of the world. And we told all of our family and they were so happy. And I think everyone felt really good and we felt really good. And I obviously went straight back into my anxious state and started to overanalyze every single thing. And it got to about six, seven weeks. So it was still really early. And I had that dull ache and I had a little bit of light bleeding. Um, but I really didn't think that, it was, that anything was wrong. I really thought, I, I thought, okay, this is just what a natural pregnancy does. This is maybe what my body does. I remember I had a bleed with Rafe um, when I was nine weeks. So I thought, okay, I'm just one of those people that bleeds. Um, but I still... Booked an early scan this time, not with the evil man place. I uh, booked a, a different place, and obviously this is during COVID times, so we had our masks on. We put on some musicals in the car. It was a sunny day because it was in it was in July, and it was really hot, wasn't it? This summer, and I was like, we were just singing songs like loving life driving there got out and I just I just knew it would be okay I was like it's gonna be okay I'm I feel really good but I'm just getting checked out and um we went in we both went in and then he the sonographer kind of went in and I saw the womb and I just saw the familiar empty womb and I was like oh my god I I I literally looked up to the ceiling and said out loud are you serious are you serious, God? And then the man like moved to the floping tube. He's like, I'm so sorry. Um, it looks like it's and me and Joe, we was like, is it topic again? Because we knew that there was a slight chance, like not a slight chance, there's a, a bigger chance that if you've had one, you have another one. But once again, I didn't think that would be me. I didn't think that would happen, especially at like nine months later. Like it was just, it was just so bad. And he said, you know, it's in the um, tube, but you're going to go have to go to the hospital and get it checked out to see officially what's happening with it. And he said, I wouldn't wait too long. But I didn't go that day because I was just so upset. And once again, that embarrassment came like my sister was pregnant. I wasn't. I couldn't do it. The same thoughts over and over again. Like everyone was devastated like all of our family was devastated it's not just me and joe it's everyone else and the next day i went to the hospital and they said uh they scanned me and they said right it's it's growing and we've done the levels and i did a few different um and they said it's actually growing so we need to remove your tube we need to remove the left tube where it is in so you're going to have to come in you're going to have to have uh, an operation the next day and obviously this is at the height of, you know, COVID and you've got all these extra added stresses that wouldn't normally be there. You know, you've got to have COVID tests. You've got to go in by yourself. You know, no one can go in with you. I went in the next morning and they, they basically said, look, you know, we, we're going to open you up and we don't know what we're going to find. Um, hopefully we won't take both tubes, but we'll be definitely taking the the left one, you know? And I was a bit like, what? You're gonna do- this is this <laughs> my body you're talking about. It was so stressful and just so heartbreaking because not only are you kind of mourning the loss of this whole dream that hadn't even lasted that long, but you're then having to kind of answer questions and tick boxes about what's going to happen with your body by yourself. Like that's, I think that whole thing has really traumatized me. Like the going in by yourself, I've actually got an operation on Friday because I've got some cysts on my ovary. So I've got to have another laparoscopy what I had nine months ago. And this is obviously not anything to do with baby loss, but I'm already anxious thinking to go in and to go under and to wake up by myself. So It's just that whole thing was made worse by being alone, and uh, just not being able to kind of share that experience with Joe. And it was a horrible experience. And waking up knowing that the baby's gone—not that the baby would have even survived—but it was just, it was just so sad because you're asleep and you wake up. And I remember the woman brought me some tea and biscuits, and she's like, "You okay?" And I was like, "What did they take?" She was like, "Hold on, got the notes out." She was like, just your left one I was like yes and like every time I'm like just the silver lining okay all right that's good at least I've got the other tube and um but then what followed that I I cannot I cannot uh I mean you you can and I'm sure your listeners can but the the emotions that I have felt surrounding that baby loss and i think what happened was i think the other one overspilled because i didn't deal with that first one so this one hit me like a ton of bricks like it i have felt everything i have thrown things i have walked by myself just crying my eyes out i have cried at people's baby announcements i have just hated myself i uh, i think going back to the covid times there's nowhere to hide There's nowhere to distract yourself. There's nowhere to book to go. You have to sit here with these feelings of, of hatred, (laughs) hatred for yourself, for the situation. It's been testing on so many levels. It's tested my friendships, my relationships, and uh, obviously my sister just gave birth last week. That was so tough to go through that together because luckily we are so close and she and all my other sisters they are the most empathetic people you'll ever meet and so we would constantly be back and forth where I'd be crying to my sister knowing that she was pregnant no and and she'd be crying because she wanted me to be pregnant and and we weren't and leading up to the birth of her baby it, everyone was just treading just so lightly like my sister Claire who did have her baby little baby girl said look Laura can you just text me every day with a, with a heart and whatever color it is we'll have a little code so I know how you're feeling you know I don't want to send you anything that's going to trigger anything and I knew that once the baby was born I could almost close the chapter do you know what I mean like as soon as the baby was born I knew that that's when my journey would have ended and then I could kind of move on and I want to say it's made it easier, but I still I don't I, I don't think I will ever get over any any of any of this. And um, it's just I'm now in a weird limbo where I don't know whether I can get pregnant again or I don't know what is going to what the future is going to hold because I'm actually scared of getting pregnant now. I I don't know whether I could cope with 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 that you know i was pregnant for both of those ectopics for about 6 7 weeks and i'd already booked a scan in those times um and they both ended badly so for me pregnancy now it's weird because i've been having counseling with petals charity and it's been so lovely to talk through the really horrible things that i think you know when people announce they're pregnant i'm just like Ugh! and i hate it i don't want to like it but I I do my instant gut feeling is of upset and I start comparing myself and I start thinking that and I've got a child this is where I think that baby loss and it's just it's just this place that you can't navigate because people go oh you've got one and I go oh yeah I know I know but then I think but that's not the same it's not the same it's an experience that I've gone through that was horrible and 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 like scarring is just scarred me scarred me and joe so you can't compare the situation and and it's
0: it's not a case of oh you have him because in your mind you also got well yes but there is this other baby who i should have had or these other two babies and that you know because you have one child does not take away from the fact that you should have two children now or three children you know depending on how you feel about the adverse topic, and you know that I think that's a really unhelpful comment that people say. and you know it really is totally you know, one of those worst things that that people can say. and i I mean, i I didn't have exactly the same experience, but my um so when my sister-in-law got pregnant and um, after so about six months after Sky died, and then I got pregnant. So I was actually pregnant when she gave birth. And that day, she gave birth was the worst day for my grief since like the really dark, you know, early days. And I think part of it was part of it was just that I'd been storing up all these emotions and this anxiety about her pregnancy and you desperately wanting nothing to go wrong. Cause now you know that things can go wrong. So part yeah. of it was that pure relief. And part of it was, this is the experience I should have had you know and didn't mm. and even though you know I was pregnant at that point and I was so lucky to be pregnant and you know I could feel all that gratitude it was still I just don't think you can control that emotion that hits you it's just like a complete tidal wave isn't it and yeah
1: yeah yeah and it is it's uncontrollable I think a lot of the baby loss emotions for me were primal I I, And it makes you feel out of control, doesn't it? Which is is then is
0: a scary feeling in itself. And then and then you get that shame feeling again because it's like, well, you know, why can't I control these feelings or this behavior? And and it all feeds into that cycle.
1: It does. And I, I think even when I the month of March, so obviously now was when the baby was was due, and my anxiety, without me even thinking about it. My body was almost kind of like it was, it it felt, I felt buzzy almost in a bad way. And it was like, it knew that this would have been the month. And I can't describe it, but this, these whole nine months have just been really, really tough. And I'm waiting for that release. Um, I think it's because I know I've got this other operation coming up, but Mm. I think after that I can just breathe and go, right, Laura, just have some sort of closure And I I know I'm never going to have any closure and I don't actually want to have closure out of the situation because like you've said, you know, there would have been other children and, you know, I want to acknowledge that I'm definitely not one of these people that is going to like forget and, you know, sweep it under the table and make light of something that a lot of people do, you know, a lot of people want to make it kind of, Oh, it was early, wasn't it? that has got nothing to do with anything. I had thought I couldn't have children and then twice, I have thought that I was going to be able to have a child and it, and it didn't. So every time that happened, it knocked away a bit of my hope that I'd been so kind of, so, so unaware that I even was going to have that hope. That's the, I think that sometimes I kept getting angry at my husband and I'd go, but I didn't, I, I was happy with one. I was happy. I, I was okay. We'd already had the struggle to get him we'd had the struggle. I didn't need to have those experiences. And this is why I have been so open about the baby loss and and talking to people like you, because if that, you know, if I can do something to do to get out of that horrible experience that can help even just one other person or make someone else feel better, then I've gone through it for some higher power or higher reason. Because when I... I get angry thinking I've just gone through that for no reason. And that's just not helpful. It just makes you feel angry and and annoyed. But um yeah, it's um I I think I my empathy levels have got skyrocketed. And I think that I just have so much admiration for people like you and people that have just gone through through these horrible experiences and then just carried on and got to carry on with their lives. Like and then I just look at some of my friends and I just think, you don't even know. You have not gone through one thing. And you've had three children, easy peasy, lemon squeezy, and you will never know. And it is about being about kind of trying to just stay close to those people that get it. And it's, it's hard because sometimes like you feel bad on your other friends because you you think you don't get it. And you can't be my friend at the moment because you don't understand. It's not their fault. I'm yeah. being really horrible, honest here, aren't I? I'm being yeah, like I really open.
0: I think <laughs> to me because I think everyone feels this. You know, I think most people listening will have felt this, and they will be like, oh, okay. If I'm not a terrible human being, or you know, if I'm terrible, everyone's terrible to some level, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but we all we all go through this and i think like and that actually leads quite nicely onto your book which is wonderful because that does talk about some of these issues so not baby loss specifically but it talks particularly about the many different ways that you know families can be built and I've got a copy here with me now and I'm looking forward to reading it with Rowan when he's a bit older and doesn't try to oh, chew everything in our time. because it is not a book that deserves to be not cheap. not dribble No, <laughs> no. dribble. <laughs> so can you tell us why you decided to write it
1: and how that book came into being um so it we you actually kind of spoke to about it earlier but you know I I even get annoyed like pregnancy announcements on programs and things like that and like when people you know the next scene they're like pregnant and stuff I even get annoyed at that I think that's not real that's not right that doesn't happen and I wanted to um because of you know and everyone's probably felt this but because of the way that I mean I grew up I loved musicals and Disney and um obviously Disney is very unrealistic and so are musicals but I found it very hard to believe that there was not one, one tiny pinpoint of a moment where someone had had left a little little bombshell of, by the way, it might not happen straight away. By the way, you might need a little bit of help. By the way, you may not end up having children. And I think it's actually unfair to like not prepare children and 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 and, and, and talk about it with them. I mean, so it's that's not really kind of,
0: covered in like sex education at school, is it? It's all about no. yeah. This is this yeah is the biology. And this is what happens, and yeah, yeah.
1: It's so way. it's on on that on that fundamental level of like just kind of ultimately teaching all children that that the the ways the to build a family might be quite difficult, might be quite hard. You might may have very complex emotions. You may feel very sad. You may feel scared that it's not going to work. So on that level, that was what I wanted to, I actually wanted to write, the book for Rafe, my son so he knew what we'd gone through to get him and we knew that he was a a kind of a a special baby because he'd been made scientifically and I just thought it was with robots I thought it was quite a nice way to explain that to him but now the book's been um, read by lots of different families you know same-sex parents donor conceived and I've had lots of people say you know what my child can identify with themselves in a book and that's all really what we want in this world to be seen whatever you know whatever our story and children love books and I thought it'd be a great way for yeah just children to kind of learn about it but in a really subtle way Mm -hmm. so I guess when you read it you'll see but it there's no mention really of sperm and eggs there's no mention of IVF it's all about the robot's parts not working, but the robots really want to build a family because they've got lots of love to give. So they need uh, you know, so with regards to like a surrogate, they need a special super kind robot that will carry their baby. And the drawings are really sweet because they're all like gender neutral. There's not really any mums and dads and everything, but it it, it explains it does explain so so children can understand. And I just think like I just don't want, I just don't want my son to grow up really unrealistic with really unrealistic views of of having of having children because it's it's not the case like there's like one in four have miscarriage I think one in eight or one in seven or one in eight have infertility problems. that's like a lot so in school right if there's thirty children in a class, that means there's about three or four people that might not be able to it might not be easy for and I think it's just it's not fair that they're not being taught and you know I don't mean going to the you know nitty gritty of it in year four talking about all sorts but I think just understanding that it's okay that you might struggle or it's okay that your mum and dad struggled because they really wanted you or it's okay if you if your you know your mum didn't have the right eggs and they didn't work and you needed you, you know she needed a bit of help like I think that's we should all just talk about the, the things that are uncomfortable because they're real for people they're real it's like yeah. it's our it's our lives and I think also it's making them know that, that they are still part of that family
0: and they are family however that yeah. family comes to be and you know you you cover loads of stuff, you cover donor conception so we're see adoption everything which is a lot to fit in one picture but we do yeah do. and I do love the I think the way it's done with the robots is is really good and the illustrations are are beautiful oh, thank you thank you Mm -hmm. so we are pretty much out of time although I feel like I could keep talking to you all night but anyway we, we have to stop at some point so thank you so much for sharing your story with us could you finish by telling people where they can find Robo Babies and where they can connect with you online
1: Yes, so I'm on Instagram as at Robo Mummy and the book can be found and many other lovely books like Robo Babies um, is published by Owlitt Press. Um, so you can get it through them or um, Waterstones, um, Amazon. Just anyway, really. you anybody get it? <laughs> yeah, all good bookstores. I should have just said that, shouldn't
0: I? <laughs> bookstores. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Laura. It's brilliant. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alison. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Footprints on Our Hearts. Please help me break the silence around baby loss by sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving a review on iTunes. You can follow me on Instagram at footprints on our hearts and Twitter at Sky's Footprints. For detailed show notes and to support the podcast and help me raise money for Tommies, please visit our website, footprintsonourhearts.com.